Federal Drug Administration uses multiple approval pathways to get products to the market sooner. On this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll discuss what these pathways are, and also we'll examine the promise and limitations and what their proliferation means to prescribers. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality of Vision, and I'm also a practicing internist. Joining me for the discussion today are Drs. Jenny Hayes and Stephen Lucio. Jenny, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. So Jenny, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at Vizian. Sure, Tom. My name is Jenny Hayes, and I'm a senior clinical manager for the Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence at Vizient. Our team is responsible for clinical insights, forecasting, and really delivering the so what about pharmaceuticals. And Stephen, this is not your first turn here at our podcast. It is not, Tom. Thank you so much for this additional opportunity. Again, I'm Stephen Lucio. I'm also with the Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. And just as Jenny described, we're here to give context to our members and to others what is really going on within the pharmaceutical landscape. So team, I got to be honest, during the pandemic, I was fascinated how quickly things got approved, how we even got studies done differently. But I understand things are going back to the way they were. So first of all, How long does it take it typically for a new drug to reach the market and its normal approval path? I mean, what's the time frame? Tom, you bring up a really good scenario. So certainly during COVID, the FDA wanted to get vaccines approved as quickly as possible to try to help mitigate this public health emergency. So prior to COVID, vaccines took about eight years for full approval, including clinical trials, FDA review of paperwork. And when we got into COVID, it was really almost less than a year to try to get these vaccines approved and into the arms of our fellow citizens. Completely agree. And that's one of the great things. I know, obviously, COVID has not been easy for anyone. And obviously, there's always things can be done better. But it does demonstrate how things can be affected from a medication development standpoint to more quickly address critical needs. What FDA tries to do, and we'll talk about some of the benefits and the limitations of that, but those are good examples that the system can work when it is tested. And I saw that, particularly even during the pandemic, we did see that the system did work when we were discussing situations like the myocarditis and even some of the other rumors, if you have, about the side effects of vaccinations. But also, that seems like a long time between R&D and then getting it to market. But other medications come to mind. I'm going to go way back here, but Baycol with the issue of going rhabdomyolysis. And so I could see where there needs to be some mindfulness, but you know, what's the rationale behind this expanded approval? Tom, that's a great question. So accelerated approval specifically came about in the early 90s, specifically 1992, in response to the HIV and AIDS epidemic as a way to get medications approved, again, as quickly as possible to help treat this significant public health need. And I think what they do is really a little trade-off on the pre-approval research in order to get the medication to market faster and to help patients that are suffering from serious diseases. Absolutely. The FDA is charged with making sure medications are safe and effective. And so that's what they're trying to do. And It is very difficult to do that. And like Jenny mentioned, we're talking, if you include not just the clinical 
trial, but even before to preclinical where you're working in the lab, it's easily over a decade. And so there's so many different programs. Accelerated approval is one we're very familiar with. There's fast track and breakthrough status and all these different names that people may have heard about, but they're all geared towards the same thing. What can we do to get products while still maintaining that threshold of efficacy and safety, but to the actual populations that need them? And it's been very controversial, I would say. Now, again, the good news is that we've seen circumstances where it's worked, but sometimes there are things that we think work. And then as we progress on, we learn that, oh, well, maybe that didn't quite work as much as we thought. And there's a lot of patient care consequences associated with it, financial issues, and just expectations for development. And that's really what makes it hard for providers to understand because all these different terms are used and you may think that, oh, okay, a medication is really opportunistic. There's really a great opportunity with it. And sometimes that pans out. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's a little bit different. And having to monitor that over a long period of time takes a lot of effort. And that's why it's important to discuss it in environments like we have today. I appreciate that. So have we seen more instances where expedited approval in the last few years? And why is that? Well, we've seen, again, a lot of different circumstances where FDA is trying to get products to the market. There's many different programs by which that is taking account. And during COVID, obviously, it was the emergency use authorization mechanism, which was a process that was brought about after 9-11 when there were concerns about bioterrorism and countermeasures and had been used a little bit in things like uh, H1N1, MERS, Ebola, but obviously took off. And by virtue of that, remdesivir came through, the monoclonal antibodies came through, ultimately the vaccines. And even though the logistics are somewhat different, the infrastructure is a little bit different, the end result is, yes, that we can get medications to the public more rapidly rather than the eight years. No one wanted to wait eight years for a vaccine. No one wants to wait eight years for Alzheimer's medications, which is the accelerated approval. And so their FDA does quite a bit to try and make that a reality, try to advance those approvals. And a lot of times it's based upon what we think is likely good indicators of disease progression and disease mitigation. But as we will describe, that's not always the case. Something that we think is a good indicator of how things are going to transpire may not be when we actually come about to having a long-term outlook on how a medication actually performed. Stephen is totally right there. And I think back to your question about are we seeing more accelerated approvals? Absolutely. In the past decade, more than half of the FDA approvals have been accelerated approvals. The vast majority of those are for oncology. So I think many people are familiar. You can't watch the nightly news without seeing a commercial for one of these expensive monoclonal antibodies to treat different forms of cancer. It's amazing how much money has been funded, funneled into oncology research that we do have these new drugs for patients that may otherwise not have had a lot of great treatment options. So I think Certainly, we are really accelerating the treatment of a lot of disease states, but especially cancer with this accelerated approval process. So that makes sense to me, but you already use terms like breakthrough, accelerated, priority review. Can you give us a rundown? Sure. There's several programs that relate to how quickly the development process is for the manufacturer, like the breakthrough status 
fast track, accelerated approval, et cetera. Fast track and breakthrough status speak to the number of resources that FDA devotes to the approval of a medication. And so obviously, if FDA is conversing with the supplier more rapidly and more frequently, that's probably going to help the supplier get that product through all the different stages of development. So that's fast track and breakthrough. Now, there's also accelerated approval, and Jenny can talk about that. That relates to what is the threshold to get a product approved. But the one that's also very important is priority review. And just to show you how that has impacted the market, if you go all the way back to the 1980s, on average, it took, independent of the eight years or a decade that it takes to get a medication through, just having the product with FDA took up to three years in some cases. So we're talking about, you're just kind of waiting there for FDA to tell you something. Now, in the last few years, that time frame has declined about a year overall. And then with something like priority review, where the FDA is under the gun to review the application within six months, that again limits it. So you want to obviously as much as possible limit the time that you spend conducting trials and working through all of those things. But then you don't want to give an application to FDA and FDA just kind of sits around for a while and says, well, I'll think about that. So priority review is really the FDA's expectation that they're going to give you an answer, be it good or bad or whatever, in a quick period of time. So those are ways which you try and manage the resource allocation or the timing by which determinations of approvability actually occur. And I'm going to turn it over to Jenny to talk about what accelerated approval is really all about. Thanks, Stephen. And he does make a good point that specifically fast track, breakthrough therapy, and priority review designations have more to do with how quickly the FDA responds to the information that is supplied by the manufacturer of the drug. Accelerated approval is actually quite a different category in which the manufacturer actually uses different endpoints in their clinical trials to get the drug approved. So normally you'd think of a medication, sure, we would like it to help prevent patients from dying or to definitively cure their disease. In accelerated approval, these manufacturers are using what is called a surrogate endpoint. So it's a marker that we think is reasonably likely to predict the overall efficacy of the drug. So again, going back to when this was started for the HIV AIDS epidemic, the trials were looking at viral load count, CD4 count. They weren't necessarily looking transformation to a full AIDS diagnosis, opportunistic infections, etc. So when manufacturers are designing their trials, they're actually designing completely different trials to look at these endpoints that you could study a bit quicker They submit all of their information to the FDA, hopefully get their accelerated approval, and then continue to conduct additional clinical trials to sort of prove that the drug works for its ultimate purpose, that is to cure the disease, prevent death, or any really long-term consequences there. And I think accepting some uncertainty here, we reduce the viral load, but does that really ultimately help the patient? is a trade-off to, well, we can get the drug to patients more quickly and then do these confirmatory trials while we're still sort of sorting out the details. All right. Great job, guys. We'll continue our examination of accelerated approvals on our next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Jenny and Stephen at their email addresses in our resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast at visitinc.com. 
We've posted a link in our research section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.